Abolition. Abolition. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. I think uh, Jamelia wanted me to say a few words. Would you mind if I do that at this point? Absolutely. Uh, Peace. My name is Max Parthas. I'm a member of the Abolish Slavery National Network. I'm a modern-day slavery abolitionist. And when we view this system, we view it as a system of legalized slavery allowed by the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And not just the 13th Amendment, but 27 states and territories also have similar language within their state constitution. The Abolish Slavery National Network has been behind the movement to remove those exception clauses from states like Utah, Nebraska, and right now there's a joint resolution in the Senate and the House to remove the exception clause from the federal constitution. We're dealing with a system of legalized slavery, and police are literal slave catchers. And I know that that's not something that people like hearing, and it may find it offensive, but it is what it is. I have talked to many policemen over over the years, and you brothers who are police, former police, may agree with me right now when I say that on average, uh, they told me that they make about three bad arrests a year. And when I say three bad arrests, I mean instances where they know they don't want to arrest the person. They feel that the law is unjust. They feel that they wish they could let this person go. But regardless of that, they have to do their job. There's a million law enforcement officers. If you multiply three times a million, that's three million people unjustly incarcerated every single year. And when we look at the system, particularly from the perspectives I've been hearing today, it's a very individual perspective. What is this cop doing? What happened? How did this person die? We're talking about an entire national system of for-profit prison industries where in states like California, it's $90,000 to incarcerate a single person. In New York on Rikers Island, it's $350,000 to incarcerate a single person. And when we say that there's bad apples, we're talking about 15% of the police community. 15% of the police community is 150,000 people. That's not a few bad apples, that's a goddamn army. It's more than the standing army of some nations. So I don't even know how we can have a conversation about police and change without even talking about the 13th Amendment at all. Like it's not even there, like you never heard of it. Like you don't know that it allows legalized slavery. And you have to excuse my passion, but this bothers me a lot that we have these conversations and we never act like that thing exists. Like there isn't a movement movement to abolish it and that right now there are 120,000 people we know who are wrongfully incarcerated. And that's just the wrongfully incarcerated. So I would like to ask uh, those here listening now to please do a little bit more homework on, on the 13th Amendment and the direct effects that it has had on this country from 1865 and the transfer of ownership from the individual being able to own people to the state taking it over through convict leasing, which went on all the way up to 1928. And now we have this system where we're warehousing bodies for profit. We have the largest prison population to have ever existed on planet Earth anywhere. We have more black men behind bars in cages than the top five African nations combined. That is something we have to address immediately. So please, consider this, what I have just said today, in your further conversations, 
in your writings with places like The Guardian, in your discussions about legal changes, that what we need to do is deal with this as a crime against humanity, not a series of mistakes or errors in judgment. We know what we're dealing with. We just need you guys to get on board. Thank you very much. So, I got I got to say, that's my brother Max. We are both members of Abolish Slavery National Network. We are a national coalition that is fighting to remove involuntary servitude and the exception clause, not just from the United States Constitution, but also from each of our respective states. Um, I have recently had a legislator author uh, a bill. It is now ACA 3 as of December 18th, where we are seeking to remove this language as well. Um, and something that, you know, Max is touching on that, you know, is, is very important that I think people fail to realize, um, and, and something that, that my good friend Chief Daniel Hahn has said, is that law enforcement in this country has two powers that no, no other profession has. One, the power to take your life, and the power to take your freedom. Abolition. You just heard Max Parthas addressing a panel that included police, former officers, activists, and family members of people killed by law enforcement. This public conversation happened on December 29, 2020, and a link is on our page. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. My name is Max... Uh, <laughs> Wow, getting ahead of myself. Uh, peace and blessings be upon you. My name is Yusuf Hassan. <laughs> I'm joined by my co-host, Max Parthis. Peace, Max. Welcome back. Same to you, brother. Welcome back, man. We had a kick-ass 2020. and about to have a kick-ass 2021. And I'm here broadcasting live from the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, just miles from the start of the Civil War. Yusuf. Awesome, awesome. So today is our first episode of season two in a brand new year. In 2020, we came in humble and we went out like monsters. I like that. (laughs) Assisting and ending legalized slavery on multiple fronts with victory after victory. We provided content and context and content during a complex year. We also established state and national institutions. Uh, We abolished slavery in multiple states, and we prepared 2021 like a wedding planner. We didn't just punch the envelope. We sent it flying with deadly precision like an anti-slavery paper shuriken. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. We're going to spend some time updating you on what went down while we were between broadcast seasons. What's on the horizon for the abolitionist movement in 2021? And then we'll drop a new tool in your lap to use in the fight against constitutional bondage and oppression. So we have this, uh, this current episode has been entitled The Badges and Incidents of Slavery, which, you know, I love, Max, you know, because I know that there's a tremendous, tremendous history of it in the courts, which, you know, I love playing around in the courts. 
And of course, we've got music, spoken word, and the voices of the ancestors reclaimed with our Bridging the Gap segment. So let's get started. Max, tell us about the uh, opening clip. Well, uh, that I got to give a shout out to Sister Jamelia Land out in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. She is uh, the person who hosted that and put it together. It was called Using Your Platform to Empower, Influence, and Educate. And it aired, aired on uh, December 29th. It was a panel discussion with impacted families, athletes, activists, and former law enforcement. This included uh, Eric Garner's daughter, as well as uh, you know former officers who are working from the inside to try to make some change. And, you know, we talk, they talked for a while. I wasn't part of the conversation until almost the end, but I was there listening through the whole thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's always this individual thing, like, you know, this cop is doing this type of thing, and, and how do we handle this community or this city? It's never really addressed as systemic, and almost never is the 13th Amendment brought into the conversation at all. You know what I mean? Like, they right. don't see that as, as something that is problematic, so apparently they don't know the history of the whole organization. And by the time right. they got to me, I was ready to go, man. I just got tired of it, and I dropped a few <laughs> bombs. And uh, I figured that we'd start the night with that because we're coming in throwing bows. That's how it is, especially when I got to the, you know, police and slave catchers part. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have to tell right. these people who are in high places that were like, Max, we love you. We want to bring you on our show. Like, Max is hardcore. I will get on your show and call police a slave catcher. And, and is that what you want? Because <laughs> I ain't taking <laughs> it for nobody. You know what I mean? Right. Like, we have to be very selective with our language. Um, if you're dealing with a crime against humanity, then there's people committing those crimes against humanity. And in our case, it's slavery and genocide. And who's behind it? Of course, from the top down, but the police are a very big part of it. And it's simple to explain how they play that role. To them, it may seem like no big deal. I saved a thousand lives this year. But how many slaves do you need to catch to be a slave catcher? Hmm. So I'm interested in that, Max. What was uh, some of the feedback? Did they defend their positions? Did they try to be dismissive of you? How how did they receive that? Well, you know, that is one thing that kind of blew me for a loop. They acted like I never said a word except for one dude who didn't really – nobody understood where I was coming from. It was all new to them, the 13th Amendment, all of this. This is new information to them, like literally probably for the first time hearing – what I'm talking about right now, and it's it was kind of hard to digest. It always is, especially when you're in their positions. Um, mm-hmm. So they didn't. They acted like I said nothing, except for one dude who said, uh, "Oh, we need solutions we can enact now to make these changes. Uh, not these uh, wild talk about abolishing the police or defunding the police." Like, he didn't even hear a word I said, apparently. I am not a police right. abolitionist. I'm a slavery abolitionist, and I introduced myself as such. So that was that was the, all they did. And you could see the, that the air after that was uncomfortable. Like, everybody's like, damn, did he just throw elbows out on us? And I'm like, yeah, because somebody needed to. Right. So since you've thrown some terms on him, we may have some new listeners how would you define the difference between a police abolitionist and a slavery abolitionist? As I said earlier, for us, this is a crime against humanity, and it's systemic. It's nationwide. It's part of every aspect of our social, business, legal, uh, economic lives. It's everywhere you look. 
uh, and it is a crime against humanity. Abolishing the police. Yeah, right. Good luck with that. Like, how do you get rid of slave catchers from slavery? You think that's going to happen? Really? So they changed it to defund the police, and then they had to explain it even deeper because they're not ab- slavery abolitionists. They're trying to find answers without that piece of information in their heads. And without that critical piece of information that changes your perspective, you cannot actually find a solution because you don't know the right questions to ask. Right. <laughs> you know? So I, I'm in approval of agitation in general. Agitate, agitate, <laughs> agitate. I don't give a damn what you're agitating about. Just agitate because it only helps those causes that are pure truth because the truth will rise up to the top as you're seeing now with people starting to understand the circumstances to the point where we even have, and this happened since we went on break. We now have a joint resolution that has been submitted to the House uh, in the 116th Congress Senate Joint Resolution 81 and House Joint Resolution 104, which will repeal and replace the 13th Amendment and replace it with the 28th Amendment, which will counter the 13th. That happened while we resolved, man. That's amazing. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge because, uh, yeah, and it came fast because it was uh, maybe, what, early October when we first caught wind of that that Seneca Merkley had sent out the tweet ind- indicating that he was going to introduce a bill on the Senate floor, you know, repealing and replacing the 13th Amendment to remove the exception clause. And, yeah, quickly, you know, they, they showed up to a couple of our little meetings, you know, and I guess they got whatever intel they needed to get whatever language they wanted to bring forth. What, what and then they saying, introduced basically? it. Is we've been in consultation with Senator Merkley's office uh, as the Abolishing National Network, uh, and we've been making them more and more aware of this. And, he, and their office has been working with us and are in agreement with the abolitionist movement. So this is why they submitted this joint resolution. It's a huge uh, thing that's going on right now on a federal level. Many of us never thought we'd see this day. We were preparing the next generation for this moment. We, we thought, like, right. wow, <laughs> we might not see this day. And here it is now. It has to be resubmitted with this new Congress. But the reason that it came out was to lend us support as we were ending slavery in several states. We ended slavery in Colorado, Utah, Nebraska, and now we've got like at minimum seven states for 2021 who will be abolishing slavery and as many as 10 all at the same time. If you thought two states in 2020 was a big deal, wait till you see what happens in November of 2021. You see? Yeah, and I, I, you know, like I like I've said in the past, you know, there were those who thought that you know Colorado was just an anomaly, and then when they saw Utah and Nebraska abolish their abolish slavery from their constitutions, I think people started really taking it seriously. You know, people in power in the Senate and the Congress because they say, okay, this is an actual movement now. This isn't just some. You know, okay, they got lucky in Colorado. No, now we're in three states, you know, and we see it spreading like wildfire across the country because many people haven't been properly educated on the 13th Amendment, and therefore, you know, they're starting to realize, hey, what we've been taught about the 13th Amendment is a lie. It didn't abolish slavery. You can't 
have a have you can't abolish something and have an exception to it at the same time. And people are starting to realize that. And they're saying, Wow, I didn't even know this was in our constitution. And you know, when it comes when it's brought to you, you have to take a stance. It's like, okay, now you're in the situation where you have to say whether you're for or against slavery. There's no other option. You know, so you have to take a side and quite naturally most people are gonna say you know, yes, I'm for abolishing slavery 100%, and we're seeing that. Yeah, uh, people have, have voted it out in a purple and a red state. Uh, and now we've got Vermont, uh, who has got their legislation together, California, as you heard, Jamilia land in the opening clip. They just submitted theirs. ACA 3 has been submitted, which will remove involuntary servitude from the mm-hmm. California Constitution. Uh, Ohio submitted theirs, and it, you know, even Louisiana, man, we just – the prison capital of the world. Uh, a mm-hmm. couple weeks ago, we got them set up with a legislator, and they are buzzing. They are ready to blow this wide open. The prison capital world is about to abolish slavery. So they've got their legislator. They've got their legislation. they got the grassroots organization. They've been organizing with the media and talking even to the governor. Uh, shout out to uh, Brother Elomba and – Curtis Davis over there and Mandy, all y'all who are holding it down and really inspiring the rest of us. So that's what we just recently did. We we set in motion the end of slavery in freaking Louisiana. Texas doesn't get there. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Right. Right. Like this is epic stuff that's going on. I said we went out as monsters, man. And it's only going to get bigger this year. Uh, like I said, if two cause the buzz, what do you see? Ten, the talk of the right. town is going to be his Thirteenth Amendment when it comes to education. We're working with the educators regularly now, so we had a meeting with Brown University's alumni who have agreed that they will start putting modern abolitionist ab- abolitionism in the curriculum for the teachers' college, which will then be presented to the students to be able to have critical thought about. The same thing is happening uh, out in New York with the historians against slavery. They're adding this to their curriculum. So education is going to be full bloom by the end of 2021. It's going to be talking to town, man. And let me add a couple other states on there. Texas. Okay. Texas has legislation to end slavery in 2021. And we went and on the sneak tip got slavery on the ballot to be abolished in Alabama. In Alabama. Mm. We did that during the break. Uh, Tribal and I both went out to Alabama along with Sister Savannah Eldridge. Uh, Brother Huggy Bear came in as a poet. Uh, we was hmm. out there with, um, you know, the activists, and even Brother Benu did a speech from inside. <laughs> it was awesome wow. to be there on the anniversary of the uh, boycott that happened and to mm-hmm. speak on this issue. And it caused a big buzz. But in any case, you know, we talked with the people from Amendment 4, uh, and they had this opportunity by passing Amendment 4 in Alabama in November to take out racist language from their state constitution. And we spoke with them, and they agreed that there's nothing more racist than making slavery legal in your state constitution. So that's out. All we got to do is vote on it. It's awesome. Yeah, That's man. huge. Yeah, all all of that is huge, and it's just amazing how fast all of this is happening. Quickly. You know, uh, yeah, because you and I both have been at this for. I know I've been 
over a decade and you even longer. And here we are just within the past uh, six months, you know, that, yeah, we're in all of these states. Everything is being moved. It's, you know, being mentioned in uh, not, not just legislatures, but in universities. So it's just catching on like wildfire. And it's only going to grow even faster. And, of course, you know what comes with that is those who uh, – how do I want to say this? <laughs> those who were sort of like turning their backs on us in the beginning, and now they see the success. And, you know, we know people are going to start coming out of the woodwork trying to be part of the movement. So what should we say to that? Um, could you simplify the question for me if you're asking it? <laughs> I'm talking about those who were retractors at the beginning, those who turned oh, their backs on us in the beginning. Yeah, like yeah, um, it looked at us like we were crazy and out of our mind. That's the stages that truth goes through. Anybody that's been in this fight for any amount of time already knows it. You looked at it like you're a nut job from the beginning, but that's only because my people are dying for lack of information. <laughs> they don't know. They have been right. bamboozled. They've never even read the 13th Amendment, let alone want to argue with you about whether or not it ends slavery. <laughs> like, you right. see it happen on their face so much. But as I said, because of the buzz we created through the Abolish Slavery National Network, and with all of these states that are abolishing slavery, it's creating a forced conversation. You ain't got no choice but to talk about it. You can't ignore as many as a dozen states removing slavery. And a, a federal a resolution? You're going to pretend it don't exist? So, yeah, that's just not possible. Right, right. And so, we with the all the things thing, that... Back in the oh, day, we did Max. the same thing with the, with the, with the um, Obama administration. Remember when he announced on, I think it was August 19th, uh, that they would uh, reconsider using for-profit prison uh, yeah. uh, contracts, right? And the, August the, 18, 2018. Yeah, and the, the market bottomed out. Like, the prison stocks are straight down, and if they didn't uh, stop trading, they would have went out of business that day. That was the type of pressure we was putting on them back then. Uh, so now, that's multiplied even more so, uh, to the point where the for-profit private prison industries are, have a very bad reputation in the United States. No banks will do business with them anymore. None of the major banks will do business with them. They've lost billions and billions in revenue. Uh, they're still making money, but they're not making as much as they used to here in the United States. Right. So there was a couple of other things that went on while we were gone. If you want me to cover a couple of them with, real quick, I can do that. Yeah, absolutely. I know you've been under the weather for a couple of weeks, so uh, we agreed that I would be your uh, newsman today. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, brother. I really do. Uh, on the 9th, uh, right after we came back from Alabama on the 6th, we were there on the 6th, which was the anniversary of the ratification of the 13th Amendment, uh, three days later, the Justice Department uh, – let me read Let me read part of this article from EJI. It says, the Justice Department intervention not – Intervention not just into a single prison, but an entire state prison system is a rare move. Signed by U.S. Attorney General William Barr, and filed after more than a year and a half of attempts to negotiate a settlement and preempt this kind of unprecedented intervention, the complaint underscores 
the seriousness and weight of the allegations. And what they're saying is that the Department of Justice is suing the Alabama state uh, prisons for constitutional violations of uh, things up to and including cruel and unusual punishment, uh, as well as the conditions that these brothers have to exist and sisters over there in Tutwiler have to exist there. So uh, they are suing the state prison systems, and the prison systems have sworn to fight back tooth and nail. <laughs> like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's one of the worst constitutional violations in America today. It's happening in Alabama prison, very much like Angola and Parchment in Mississippi and Louisiana. And we're mm-hmm. turning a blind eye to the point where the, the Justice Department sues them. And the state still says, you know what? We like it the way it is. Screw you and the boat you came on. That's amazing. Right. See, that, that comes from decades or over a century, you know, of getting away with doing so many things, so many human rights violations, and the courts turning a blind eye. And, you know, as as we'll see later on, as much of the badges and incidents that I can get into coming from the courts, you know, as to why the courts were turning a blind eye to it. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, again, you get away with something for long enough, you know, you don't expect any, any type of uh, redress. It's just, <laughs> yeah, you know, why police? Stuff like, they say super, super <laughs> stuff to you. Like, why you want to complain now? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. This wasn't a problem in 1920s and 1930s and 1940s. Now you want to complain about it. We've been doing this for decades. And in fact, when it came to uh, 10-2 being overturned, that was what one of the uh, state prosecutors said. You know, we've been doing this for over four decades. Why is it a problem now? (laughs) You know? Wow. So that yeah, that's it, uh no I I I was done. You you well, can go ahead, brother. There was a few other things that we did do this year, uh between season one and season two. Uh as I mentioned, Tribal and I went out to Alabama and let a protest uh a rally out there along with Savannah Eldridge. Um we worked a lot with the states helping Louisiana and Texas and Alabama and Vermont uh get their stuff together. And we also did um the 2nd of December in recognition of the International Day for the Abolition of Slavery. We did a spoken word event, uh, which is available mm-hmm. at Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center's uh, page on Facebook. You can check it out there. Uh, which, you know, did a lot of work to keep the word out there, uh, keep the momentum moving. Um, but one of the things that I've come to understand is the type of mindset that we're dealing with, particularly now during this period here where we have people talking about a real coup of the United States government, a violent overthrow, uh, and a, you know, preparing marches for days like the 5th, they're supposed to be marching to D.C., bunch of white supremacists. They just did that in Oregon and charged into the state capitol with guns, assaulted the press, and used chemical agents out there. Uh, so mm. this type of environment that we're dealing with, and I know that that environment doesn't exist just in trailer parks. It exists from the White House down to the White Lane. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's everywhere you look. And one of the things that highlights that is the ordeal that has been happening uh, through the state attorney, Kim 
Gardner. I don't know if you're familiar with her or not, right? St. Louis attorney. Yes. It started in January, and it's been going on throughout the whole year, and it really encapsulates what type of America we're dealing with. So I want to play a clip about uh, her from back in Mm -hmm. January and then give a little bit more details on it as well. So this one is titled, U.S. Prosecutors Head to St. Louis in Support of City Attorney's Showdown Against the Police Union. We'll be right back. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 1 of Abolition Today. Top prosecutors from across the country expected together in St. Louis today to expose what they say are coordinated and racist efforts to block criminal justice reform. They're supporting the city's chief prosecutor who filed a landmark federal lawsuit yesterday against her own city and its main police union. Now, she claims she's being forced out. The union called the lawsuit the last act of a desperate woman. Jeff Begays is in St. Louis where he spoke to chief prosecutor Kim Gardner in an interview you'll see first on CBS This Morning. Jeff, good morning to you. Good morning. Gardner is the first African-American circuit attorney here in the city of St. Louis, and she will be joined here today by seven other black prosecutors, black female prosecutors from seven other states who say they have experienced similar attacks as they try to reform police departments in their states. This is not about a single case or issue facing the city of St. Louis prosecutor. This is the fair administration of justice. In the new lawsuit, St. Louis Chief Prosecutor Kim Gardner alleges her civil rights were violated. The 32-page document cites the Ku Klux Klan Act, a rarely used law passed soon after the Civil War. It alleges the city and its police union attempted to intimidate, silence, and sideline her from bringing criminal justice reform, including an independent team to investigate all police-involved shootings. But the police union has pushed back against that. Yes, they have. The complaint alleges the officers' association had gone out of its way to support white officers accused of perpetrating acts of violence against African-American citizens. It includes the case of Michael Brown, the teenager who was black, was shot and killed by white police officer Darren Wilson. Wilson was never charged and later resigned, but the lawsuit says the police union leader was outspoken in his support for Wilson. The fact that you're filing this lawsuit, is that not a sign that you're losing this fight to reform? No, it's a sign that we're not going to lose a fight to reform. You think so? It's a sign that we're going to promote the will of the people, and we want to make it where other reform-minded prosecutors who come after us are able to go even further than what we're able to do. In her complaint, Gardner includes anonymous threatening letters she says she received last May after hiring an outside investigator for a criminal case against former Governor Eric Greitens. Greitens was accused of computer tampering and invasion of privacy. All charges were dropped, but he resigned. Public officials, they get hate mail. Is what you're receiving different, you think? Yes, it is. The lawsuit also highlights a watchdog report that identified more than 400 racist and offensive posts by current and former St. Louis City police officers, something we reported on last year in a CBS News investigation when we spoke to a 19-year veteran of St. Louis City PD. Do you think that there are white supremacists on the police force? Yes, I think so. You didn't even pause. Have you seen some of the Facebook posts of some of our suspended officers right now? Yes. We asked Gardner about that. I believe that there are some individuals that have race issues on the police department. 
but you need to ask the police department what are they doing about that. In a statement, the city of St. Louis denied her allegations against it and says it fully expects to be vindicated in a court of law. This woman needs to go. She's a, a menace to society. In a radio interview last September, local police union leader Jeff Rorta said Gardner should be removed. By force or by choice? What did you think when you heard that? I think that was a threat. Rorta is able to speak unchecked without any repercussions, and that's not okay. In a statement, Rorta calls this lawsuit a frantic ploy to deflect attention from an investigation into Gardner's alleged mishandling of the case against former Governor Greitens. You've become a lightning rod. Have you ever thought about just stepping away, resigning? I stand on the shoulders of the people who paved the way for me. What if the other civil rights leaders decided it's too hard? Where would we be now? It's about standing up for what's right. Jeff Rorta was named in that lawsuit, but he declined our request for an on-camera interview. As for the private investigator that Gardner hired in the Greitens case, he was indicted last June on multiple perjury charges. He denies that he did anything wrong, but the whole case raises questions about Gardner's conduct. What did she know about his alleged crime? She denies doing anything wrong. Quite a story, Jeff, a lot of layers, but let me ask you this. Help us understand, why did Kim Gardner go to an outside investigator to look into Governor Greitens' alleged misconduct, the former governor? Well, and that is a really good question because it speaks to the bad blood and mistrust between the uh, St. Louis uh, City PD and Gardner. That's why she did not trust the local police force to help in that investigation, and that's why she went to this former FBI agent to help her investigate the former governor. Hard when you don't trust your own police department oh, and you're the prosecutor. Thank you very much, Jeff. Well, you heard it right there. Um, Kim Gardner, the top prosecutor in St. Louis, uh, has uh, charged the police with uh, basically uh, attacking her using the Ku Klux Klan Act as a defense. And I'm going to read what that is to you shortly as well. <laughs> yes, please uh, do. <laughs> let's, just, let's just start off the surface material, which you just heard there, Yusuf. Any thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's, it's ironic because, you know, part of us discussing the 13th Amendment, we always mention how there's the myth of the Sixth Amendment. And we know the unique relationship that prosecutors have with police departments. And, you know, that's part of the process of pushing cases through. You know, that these these prosecutors have a great relationship with the officers and, you know, they fix a lot of the officers' mistakes that they make in their paperwork or they ignore a lot of the mistakes. So they're basically in cahoots with each other to violate, you know, people's uh, Sixth Amendment rights by pushing it through to get the, the, uh, get the person to enter into a plea deal. And so here we have this unique situation where you have a prosecutor who's like, well, you know what? Nah, it's something going on here, and I can't deal with this. And I want to push back against it. And they're like, again, we've been doing this forever, <laughs> and it's our right to do this. And you, maybe you just need to step to the side and get out the way because this is the way things are going to be. 
You know, so <laughs> that's what I'm hearing in all of that. Well, she I just heard she's the first black woman to have this position there, and she knows the plight of her people. She can see it with her own eyes from the perspective of a person who is part of the group being oppressed. And regardless of how high up the ladder she's climbed, she still knows that 95% of all prosecutors are white, and 83% of them are white men. So she is the mm-hmm. unicorn in the room. Um, she's also working towards reform because she's from – the broken system ideology. She's not aware that or does not see this as a crime against humanity and hence sees it as a broken system that needs to be fixed immediately. So, for example, uh, one of the things that she did, uh, if you remember the white couple that were holding guns out to, mm-hmm. uh, for the Black Lives Matter rally, well, she was the one right. that charged them in <laughs> St. Louis. They were in St. Louis doing that. So she was the one that charged them, and it brought down the ire of the Trump and the police union, as well as the police departments. Uh, she's already mm-hmm. said that the police in St. Louis systemically are racist, and everybody knows they are, you know, <clears throat> but they're in complete denial. Then again, she raised their ire and got them angrier when they had a bunch of protesters that was arrested and she refused to prosecute all of them without any kind of proof that they had done anything wrong. Because, you know, these uh, despots now have decided that our right to uh, protest is no longer valid. So it's a constitutional right, again, constitutional crisis, that they're trying to Mm -hmm. make illegal. And as we've described in past episodes of season one, the revolution will be criminalized. And that is what they are doing mm-hmm. right now. So she refused to uh, charge all of these people and told the police, come back with proof that they had done something wrong. So she's been on the bad side of them for a while, and they've mobilized everything they've got against her, uh, not just mm-hmm. in St. Louis, but nationwide. Demonized her, as you heard during this thing, the person that she hired as a private detective to investigate the freaking governor who ended up uh, losing his job because of it, uh, again, causing them to hate her even more. They're holding him uh, on charges of perjury uh, because he wouldn't give up certain information initially about how they got the goods on the governor. So she's went against the governor. She's went against the police unions if she was only an abolitionist. Yusuf? You said a mouthful there, Max. Uh <laughs> Uh, you, you you know I'm struggling to get through the episode, right? Well, if you want, so, I can tell them about that Ku Klux Klan act. Yeah, um, just just give me a, a second to just rebuild some energy real quick. All right. So you want me to do that while you uh, take a few breaths? Because for those who are listening, Yusuf has been really under the weather for the past few weeks. Yes, please do that. Yes, All right. do that, please. The Ku Klux Klan Act is the third of a series of increasingly stringent enforcement acts was designed to eliminate extra-legal violence, the civil and political rights of 4 million freed and slave victims. The 14th Amendment, ratified in 1868, defined citizenship and guaranteed due process and equal protection of the law to all. Vigilante groups like the Republicans, I mean the Ku Klux Klan, however, freely threaten African Americans and their white allies in the South and undermine the Republican Party's plan for reconstruction. 
The bill authorized the president to intervene in the former rebel, rebel states that attempted to deny any person or any class of persons of the equal protection of the laws or of equal privileges or immunities under the laws to take action against this newly defined federal crime. The president could suspend habeas corpus, deploy the U.S. military, or use other means as he may deem necessary. So the Ku Klux Klan Act is like for the incidents and badges of slavery, those things that are directly related to and are legacies of and come from the institution of slavery. He could pull out the military like they did when they brought the, the Brown versus Board of Education case to, to, to physical conclusion by having Ruby and the rest of the kids come to the school. Yusuf? Did I lose you there, Yusuf? You're on mute. No, I'm here, Max. I'm here. So, uh, yeah, just bear with me, everyone. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's been a rough couple of weeks for me. And thankfully, you know, I have Max, you know, that, uh, when it comes to this broadcast, we always have the mindset that the show goes on. And, you know, I let Max know that, you know, I'm feeling really weak and I'm going to be able to give what I can give. So you guys may see that I break off a couple of times, you know, just to regroup. But, uh, yeah, those the last two parts that you just did, Max, you know, especially dealing with the uh, Ku Klux Klan Act. And we see it playing out in real time in our own eyes right now just with the Proud Boys, you know, and – who knows what's going to happen come Tuesday or any time up until, you know, the uh, inauguration, you know, but we really see history repeating itself or it's, uh, what is it, same stuff smelled differently? How do you tell? Yeah, you know, it's just saying goes. I won't say it in its pure form. But history is a synonym. The same shit smelled differently. Yes, yes, exactly. So we're seeing it. And I notice we have a hand up, Max. You oh, want to okay. take a uh, call? Yeah, let's do that. So it looks like that's Scotty Reed. Let's uh, open up his okay. microphone. Hey, Scotty, welcome sure. to Abolition Today. And we appreciate the simulcast, brother. Oh, no doubt, man. Uh, 2021, new beginnings, as they say. Um, we need to put anything negative in the past behind us. But uh, I, I, I was chiming in because you self, I've been there, bro. I hope you feel better. Uh, I had Thank to cut you, a broadcast short this last week. Yeah, I had to cut a broadcast short last week because I thought my appendix was going to burst. <laughs> you know, but it mm. didn't. Um, but stuff can happen like that. But I was calling in because of that story that um, – y'all are speaking on right now with the St. Louis prosecutor and mm-hmm. I had, you know, spoken about the, um, I think that's the 1871 to put it into historical context. The, the president was Ulysses S. Grant, who was mm-hmm. a war general 
and he, hero, um, you know, that helped put down the South. And he used that act. He the one that pushed pushed for those powers, and he used that act to use federal troops um, against those who running around, who were running around then and running around today with these Confederate flags and fighting to keep these Confederate monuments uh, up. They don't want to respect the rights of African Americans. Um, and, and so he, and that was like a, if there was ever a golden era, you know, for um, African American progress straight out of slavery, it was during that time. But what ha- what happened was who, the Republican Party betrayed its founding as the abolitionist party. Uh, there was a compromise that was there was like a constitutional crisis over a president, similar to what you know Trump threatening like you know he's not going to leave and they filing these frivolous lawsuits. So something went down like that during that time period. I, I believe it was President Rutherford. Hayes, the only reason he became president is he cut a deal with Southern senators and I imagine uh, members of Congress as well to recognize him as the winner of the election and and to do that on his part he had to remove those federal troops which was protecting uh, African American rights man, African Americans was on juries and stuff and um, uh, President Ulysses S. Grant to me, if and I don't like to apply greatness to any human being, but you know how they talk about the greatest president. To me, mm-hmm. if uh, uh, there were a greatest president, that would be Ulysses S. Grant um, for what he did in the Civil War and what he did after it, and and going after these terrorist groups. It, it, it's really you would say the first war against terrorism document or, or something. That's what it's aimed at, uh, white terrorism, the Ku Klux Klan and all that. So she is she uh is correct um in using that. And then it was something it was something else but I forgot. But great program and I'm gonna continue to listen. And of course, um, you know, we happy to pick Black Talk Radio Network is happy to pick pick y'all up, you know, uh every Sunday night and simulcast all over the network. Keep up the great work, guys. Uh, thank, thank you, very Scotty. Much. Great, great hearing from you again, brother. Mm-hmm. That's what we started at back in the day, me, you, and Scotty, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, doing this for a long time now, man. Uh, well, we got about 15 minutes before our break, a little bit less than that, before we take our music break. Uh, I want to open up the phone lines. If you want to, uh, if you have a question or a comment, the number is 515-605-9814. That's 515-605-9814. Remember to press the number one on your keypad so that we know you want to make a question or a comment, and we'll bring you in uh, on that. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to get back into uh, – let me see. Oh, we do have a hand up. There we go. Mm-hmm. All right. 803-583, you are uh, here with us on Abolition Today. Hi, Max, and you, Seth. This is Jeanette Smith. Um, hey, Jeanette. I know you got a different number, but I broke the cord to my uh, cell phone, so I'm using my home phone, if you didn't recognize it. I'm just calling to tell you guys I'm so sorry I got hurt and had to dip out for a little while and couldn't help, but I'm so proud of you guys and everything that you've done and I just can't believe how fast it's moving 
and I've been watching the Ask Abolitionist, and I, I'm feeling pretty bad tonight. Uh, you know, I broke my wrists and had to be in the hospital for a couple of weeks, and they hurt pretty badly, but I was like, uh, I'm going to suck it up because I want to hear season two, episode <laughs> one. So yes. um, here I am, just wanted to tell you guys, I'm so proud of you and hope to get to back hope to get back to being able to help you uh the little bit that I did and maybe some more but I have a little bit of healing to do but I'm listening and sharing and doing what I can. So We appreciate you. Thank you very much, Jeanette. Okay, you guys have a great night and I hope you feel better. You Seth, you you sound Hi, thank really you. bad and um, get well soon. Thank you, Jeanette. I appreciate that. Yeah, okay. everybody got some I, healing to do, right? Yeah, we, <laughs> we sure all, do. We all uh, got some. We just walked through 2020. Ain't no, nobody came out unscathed. Yeah, <laughs> like, you're right. You're right. It was. It's incredible. Been um, a hell of a year. But we're we're here, and we are yep, still broadcasting. Yep, we and we are we, still we all made change. it. We're still we're still here, and. And hoping to do some more fighting, especially you guys. And so, so proud of you guys. And, oh, I do have to tell you this. While I was in Lexington Medical Center, I was the Lexington Medical Center abolitionist. I told just about everybody that I could tell. They probably thought I was crazy because for a while I was on morphine and Dilaudid, but I was still telling them. (laughs) No doubt. That's that's how you gotta be. Sometimes you just changing one mind at a time. That's that's what you can do. Hey, I see yeah, you, uh, no. five nine six. I'm gonna get ready to bring you in in a moment too. Uh, thank you okay. so much, Jeanette. I know in the future okay. you'll be back. All right, you guys take care, and I'll talk to you together. soon. All right. Take care, Bye-bye. Jeanette. Bye. All right, two one zero five nine six. You are here with us on abolition today. I think that's Savannah. Hi. Good evening. Yes, it is Savannah. <laughs> Hey Savannah. Hey Savannah. How y'all Welcome doing to tonight? As we please. I'm How excited. About you? <laughs> excited to be a part of this inaugural show for the season. Uh, and I just wanted to call in uh to show my support. I did catch a little bit of the conversation where Yusuf was talking about uh kind of how people are uh jumping on the bandwagon per se now. Um yeah. and, and I actually it's comforting to me because people really don't think that I'm crazy at this point because other people <laughs> are saying it. <laughs> because know, you know right? that that was kind of the problem, right? Trying to explain you know, get people to sit down for these conversations when they're looking at you like, What? you know. Uh don't you so, know slavery <laughs> Yeah. They look at you like, don't you know slavery was abolished back in 1865? What is you talking about? Right. Well, and then, you know, I'm in Texas, so then we have this conversation about Juneteenth. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's some legislation coming in our next session to uh, make it a holiday so people can purchase fireworks and things like this. And so, you know, here I'm coming saying, you know, we need to abolish slavery. And they're still trying to cement the history of Juneteenth, you know, in our in our you know legislation mostly so it's like a um, culture shock going on in Texas you know and it's got a unique atmosphere because of that Juneteenth history you know like the the story's been going on now for decades 
that the last soldiers uh, or the last people to be uh, informed that, that slavery had ended was happened, what was it, six months or, or a year after the emancipation and General Granger right. showed up in uh, Galveston, Texas and told him, you was all free. <laughs> in the meantime, Texas started convict leasing just four short months after that happened. Just four months after that right. happened, they immediately went into convict leasing and become one of the worst offenders of using convict leasing. So they were already familiar with how the transfer would be done, and it didn't take them long to enact it, to the point where uh, they have mass graves out there right now that are historical landmarks mm-hmm. um, where Sugarland, Texas, where people were discovered right. there who had been subject to convict leasing, work till you're dead uh, doctrines. Uh, and to think that you guys are out there about to end slavery, you don't even have an exception clause. You, you coming in gangster. We're going to put an, no. a, 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 yeah. a, a, in our state constitution. We're going to put it in. No Sprinkle some no exception clauses on the body. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of, uh, because of what's going on, you know, nationally and all the work being done, you know, with the, uh, you know, Colorado kind of leading the way, like, it's been, I don't want to say it's easy, but um, I definitely feel like, um, you know, we've gained a lot of momentum from what's been happening in especially the last 12 months and, you know, all the the show for one and, and all the other things that have, you know, we've been trying to do to educate people um, about not only why we're doing it, but, you know, what the process is going to look like um, in each individual state and, of course, on the national level. So, um, I I just want to show appreciation to you guys. Like, this show is a gym. And um, Yusef, I hope you feel better soon. Amen to that. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. So for our last three callers, the first was Scotty Reed, who is the founder of the Black Talk uh, Radio Media Project and is simulcasting us live for the first time from the Black Talk Radio Network, uh, which is awesome, kind of like going home, right, Yusef? And then that was the uh, second, second caller was our team member, Jeanette Smith, who's pretty much heard every episode we've ever done. She usually shares the information as we speak about it live. But she broke both her hands, <laughs> and she is in recovery from that. And then we just had Savannah Eldridge, who is the founder of Be Frank with Justice, as well as a co-director of the Abolish Slavery National Network's states uh, operations. So she's out here not only working on Texas, but she's also working on South Carolina. Yes, the cat is out the bag. South Carolina is about to get yeah, out of slavery thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? going, going after Lady G now. That's it. The first one to succeed, the last to come back. They refused to even ratify the 13th Amendment. They were allowed to ratify the Fourth Reconstruction Act in lieu of the 13th Amendment. But that don't matter. We're going to end slavery in South Carolina. And by the November 3rd voting of uh, 2021, as I said, at minimum, already done deal is seven states. At maximum, at least ten. That's how many are going to be doing it this year. So right now it's kind of quiet. You don't see what's on the horizon like we see it. <laughs> but the right. buzz is going to be there, you know? Savannah, you're doing a great job uh, with that, too. Thank you so much. Thank you, Max. All right. Well, yeah, what I'm going to do is I think I'll just go into our music break a little earlier. Because when we come back on the other side, we want to get into this tool that we're presenting to you today, badges 
and incidents of slavery. And I've got a clip that really breaks down the information. So make sure you got your notebooks and pencils out so that you can take notes if you haven't been doing it already. Uh, so in the meantime, I'm going to go to our music break. And uh, when we come back on the other side, we'll get into badges and incidents of slavery. What you're about to hear is a racist rant that was sent to the Baltimore State Attorney, Marilyn <laughs> Mosby. Uh, <laughs> and it was about the uh, St. Louis Circuit Attorney, Kim Gardner. And that will be sandwiched with XCOM 2, Rap. We are the resistance. You're listening to Abolition Today. And we'll be right back after this fire. Abolition, Abolition. Today. How dare you come to St. Louis and say you got the back of that lousy bitch, State's Attorney Kim Gardner. She is just like you. That's why birds of a feather, bitches. That's what you are. You hate cops, you hate white people, you do everything you can to give all the blacks who are criminals every benefit of the doubt, and everybody else is suspect. Black lives only matter when a white person takes it. You blacks can kill each other all you want. In fact, I think that's the grand solution. We need to start driving around the ghettos and just dropping boxes of bullets on every street corner. Let them take each other out. Things were much better in this world, in this country, when everybody stayed in their own goddamn neighborhood by dusk. There's only one thing worse than a badass, empowered black woman. That's a badass, empowered black woman who's got public reins in her hands. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. How many rounds of ammunition does it take to kill a solitary alien? Once to the body, pops twice to the cranium. It's been 20 years since humanity gave up. Letting these alien freaks take over and enslave us. Used to be scared of us, now they want to bury us. We are the resistance, move, secure the area. Used to be in the shadows, but now we ready for war. Retaliation is the key, so we gotta settle the score. XCOM! We neutralize the enemy, the last line of defense against tyranny. The advent's a bunch of punks signing treaties. We got a turn-based strategy to battle these ETs. Loading cocky, hold us fight, throw a bomb and go and pop it. No more plotting, we about to get into position. We know they watching, no more talking. We not falling, we not stopping. Guns are popping, bodies dropping. We are the resistance. Loading cocky, hold us fight, throw a bomb and go and pop it. No more plotting, we about to get into position. We know they watching, no more talking. We not falling, we not stopping. Guns are popping, bodies dropping. We are the resistance. Meet up at the rendezvous. Yeah, you better run fast. Get into position and get ready for a bloodbath These genetic freaks think that they can use me Pull out the blade, now we sec toy sushi Hit him with a missile, yeah, we got him shaking now Don't stop till hostiles are taken down Serpentine soldiers, guns out the holster If they get a hold of you, knock them off the shoulder Fire in the hole, baby, we about to blow the roof up Time is running out, maybe we ought to start a shoot-up Keep blasting, no matter if you hit them or not Cause the sharpshooter will hit them with a critical shot If you run out of ammo, then tag them with a melee We got them running, probably got them hollering, made it A human that fights back, oh yeah, it doesn't sit The Advent Coalition can kiss my butt 
We are talking about waging war on police. Let's talk about being accountable and making we sure we deal with the the, the the issues we're talking about right now that led to the unfortunate death of Mr. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Orlando um, Castillo, Mike Brown, and many others. Many Abolition. Welcome back to Abolition Today. As I said, that was a racist-ass rant sent to Baltimore State Attorney Marilyn Mosby, uh, followed by XCOM 2, We Are the Resistance from the Nerd Out. And the final reply was from none other than St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, who has been going through a hell of an ordeal uh, for 2020. And I appreciate that, sister, so much. I just wish she was an abolitionist. You, (laughs) sir? I say that that caller is big mad. (laughs) (laughs) If 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 we're going with modern sayings, yeah, she was big mad. She was dropping uh, all kinds of tropes. Yeah, and and that line, if we'd have known you'd have been this much of a problem, we'd have picked our own own damn card. (laughs) To think that you got the balls to send that to a state attorney general, man! What the hell? This is the, the, you know, this was after the situation with the white couple that uh, Kim Gardner was prosecuting. So right. they had all of their flunkies uh, do what they can to threaten her life, limb, and liberty. Like she was threatened to be hanged. They told her they they should have the Ku Klux Klan hang her and rape her, murder her. Uh, these are the type of things that this black woman <laughs> in in a uh, attorney state attorney position had to endure and still has to endure. To the point where they had to get all the black prosecutors together, all like nine of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well, there ain't that many of them. We bring them all together in order to support her when the, fighting against the police union, the police department, the governor, and even the president with the Trumps. Yeah, and I mean, again, this is normally considered a very powerful position. You know, but it's saying, you know, it's only powerful if you fit, you know, the the uh, the norm. You know, as we say, 95% of prosecutors are white, 83% are white men. You know, so that power doesn't extend to others, as we can see. I mean, here's here's a clear-cut case, and I mean, we have cases like it all over the country that this comes out. So this isn't even a unique situation. It's amazing that, you know, the odds we got to go against and live against trying to swim in their oceans and play their games. You know what I mean? Uh, right. Like some of the people we know personally, uh, like uh, Representative Sandra Hollins out in Utah, the only mm-hmm. first black right. female. Right, what she went through. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, the things that she's had to go through and others all across the country where they're the only black voice there and they're speaking up about it's not necessarily just speaking up for their people. They're a part of that group. They're speaking up for themselves and families, their friends and neighbors, mm-hmm. you know? And the resistance is that you, the people who are being oppressed become the oppressor, according to uh, the, these, 
right-wing extremists who are literally trying to ha- have a coup go on. Hey, listen, this is what I'm going to do, man. Uh, I see our hands are still all up, so I'm going to open up all of our previous callers' microphones. If you do want to chime in at any point, feel free. Just remember to mute your phone so that your background noise doesn't uh, come through on the show, okay? I don't want to uh, guess if you guys have anything to add to the conversation. You're here, and I guess if you got something to say, feel free. So, yeah, man, that and the music. You can see I, I'm on a superhero theme. That's actually a video game uh, they were talking about, you know? But it fit perfectly because, Man. A, he, yeah, Scotty? We hear yeah, you, Scotty. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this opportunity to recall uh, when I lost my thought earlier in reference to this uh, black woman prosecutor that's being harassed by the Ku Klux Klan and mm-hmm. evidence what I was thinking about, I don't know if she cited it, but it's it's the FBI's own report from the Bush administration. What was it, 2006, where they, I, I laughed at it because I was like, I mean, any serious historian should know, amateur or professional or otherwise should know that the police always play the role. I mean, if you read Robert F. Williams' Negroes with Williams, you know that the police say the Ku Klux Klan an escort through a black community to shoot at um, uh, this black doctor's house who was affiliated with Robert F. Williams. So the police and the Klan go hand in hand. And yes, mm-hmm. uh, police are members in the He's FBI report right from, I believe it was 2006. in the convenience store calling the black man the N-word. So, oh, yeah, if either of y'all uh, recall that report, because I certainly do. So, you know, the FBI even confirms what she's saying. Jeanette, was that you Absolutely. just talking in the background, or did you, would you, was you trying to add something? I think she was referencing some <laughs> recent event. <laughs> I thought I was muted. I was trying to remember the name of the T that that, that uh, black man hit that white man with in the convenience store when Twisted he called him the N-word. And all <laughs> I was thinking when that woman was talking was, I'm white, and I'd like to bust her upside the head. I know I'm not supposed to say <laughs> stuff like this on here. I'm supposed to be gentle and kind, but y'all know me. I, I could just see myself popping her upside the head with some of that tea. I'm sorry. Y'all know Twisted me. tea. I think it's twisted tea. Yeah, the, yeah, there you go. <laughs> she, she needs some of that. Maybe it'll well, straighten her out. That that was this, just the, that that was just wrong, so wrong. But yeah, I, I was mumbling to myself <laughs> and thought I was on mute. Sorry. All right. Well, I, I opened up in case you wanted to comment, so just mute yourself if you don't mind, and that way, if you do want okay. to add in during the commentary, you can. All right, okay. well, yeah, man, um, twisted tea time. <laughs> but this is the type <laughs> of clear and present danger that we are existing under. If they'll do this to uh, attorneys, state attorneys, what do they do to the normal people? We already know. The average person right. ain't got a chance if a state uh, attorney doesn't have any way to defend themselves from these types of threats uh, to their life and their liberty. So, right. Yeah, that's that's the mindset that many of us fail to uh, achieve is seeing this as 
a much larger picture, not even frozen in time, but throughout time. <laughs> you know, this is a 200-year-old evil that is still after us, 400-year-old evil that is still trying mm-hmm. to swallow and devour us. And you can't ever defeat it permanently. Our ancestors already found that out. If you leave a little piece of it, it's going to grow because it, it's in the hearts of the people, the evil. And slavery will come back. So we have to have guards set against that. And that's one of the reasons why we built institutions like the Abolish Slavery National Network and the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, something that will last longer than we will to uh, keep the people aware of this. So we don't have to go through this every freaking 50 years. Yusuf? Yeah, you're right. I agree. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you you caught me stro- stro- uh, scrolling through the news. You know, uh, but you know, the more and more we talk about this, I think about the uh, your Ferguson report. And what what is the proper title? America uh, is Ferguson. Yes. And just the the statistics you came out with that, because we're talking Missouri, right? Yeah. And Ferguson is a is a suburb of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And so we know the the information that we got from there, the information that the uh, federal the, government came up with Ferguson. You know, sort of to speak a, from Eric Holder right there in Ferguson, Missouri. Right. Right, you know? that's what I'm talking about, and it ties right in with what Scotty was saying. Mm-hmm. Like you we know, saw a brother, just... I can't remember his name right now, but he was the one that went with to and pretended to steal two little drinks from the counter, two dollar drinks. Taimi like, Powell, who you know, yeah, a martyr of the movement, man. I'm right. never gonna forget that brother's Kajambe. name. Kajambe. He martyred himself Powell. just to just to make a point. Just to, just to show us how quick these Missouri cops will kill you. And they murdered that boy in just seconds. Just like they did Tamir Rice, who now uh, the Department of Justice has decided won't even be able to press any kind of charges at all against the cops who killed him in two seconds. A kid mm-hmm. in a park with a toy gun. Wow. So those are the things that we're dealing with. This is the type of mindset we're dealing with at the highest level, up to the president and attorney general. And you're talking about trust the police? She. <laughs> Another example is what happened with uh, the brother out there in Ohio, Ohio uh, Casey Goodson. Uh, Goodson. He was, yeah, C- Casey Goodson. He was shot. Mm-hmm. He went to get a sandwich. He comes back home with a sandwich, puts his key in his door with a sandwich in the hand, and there's a cop that shoots him right there just when he turns around. Just as soon as he turns to see the cop, he shoots him. Just that quick. A sandwich in his hand going into his house, the key's still in the damn hole when they got the body because that's how close he was to freedom, to safety. He thinks. We think. Because once you get in your house, you think you're safe. And the cop was out there on a 911 non-emergency call, saw this guy going in his house, and before anything could happen, ended up shooting him in the back. And we find out just recently, Yusuf, the same policeman, right, uh, Jason Mead, is a pastor. Mm-hmm. And at one point in 2018, he was given a sermon. Let me tell you what he said. He said, I work for the sheriff's office. 
I hunt people. It's a great job. I love it. I'm going to repeat that. I work for the sheriff's office. This is a pastor saying this to the congregation. I hunt people. It's a great job. I love it. Jason Mead told attendees at the 2018 Convention of the Ohio State Association of Free Will Baptists. I worked this job 14 years. You know, I ain't never been hit clean in the face one time. It's a fact. It ain't because I'm so good. You know why? I learned long, long ago I got to throw the first punch. And I learned long ago why I'm justified in throwing the first punch. Don't look up here like, oh, police brutality. People I hit wish you you wish you could hit. Trust me. This is what you're saying to the church about how you are hurting people and you 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 know you, your intuition is what allows you to punch them in the face right off the bat. And punch is metaphorical because he shot this brother in the back. That's what he was talking about. I just go ahead and do it. I th- you know what they say? Uh, uh, shoot first, ask questions later. That's his mm-hmm. Jason Mead, a goddamn murderer who was a slave catcher in a system of slavery that was allowed to murder this man on his freaking doorstep right around his family. So, it is what it is. I'm not going to get too much into that because everybody will want to reach out. <laughs> so, let's go ahead right. and get to the meat of tonight's program. Uh, we're going to start it off with the first with a clip. Uh, it's Professor William Carter Jr. He's uh, from the John E. Murray Faculty Scholar and Professor of Law at the University of Pittsburgh, and he explains to us about badges and incidents of slavery. You're listening to Abolition today with Yusuf Hassan and Max Parthas. This is Episode 1, Season 2, premiere of Abolition Today. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. In terms of what I plan to focus on, I'm going to best to talk about two of my articles um, that I guess kind of span a spectrum of my writing about race and the law. So the first one is called a 13th Amendment Framework for Combating Racial Profiling. And that one, I think, was published maybe in 2004, 2005. It was one of my first big articles. And that one um, looks at the issue of racial profiling through the lens of the 13th Amendment and through a lesser known aspect of the 13th Amendment that it prohibited not only literal slavery, but also what its framers called the badges and incidents of slavery. Those modern day conditions that are a legacy of uh, slavery or that uh, were an outgrowth of it. And so in that article, I argue that a wide scale system of uh, criminal suspicion based upon skin color is a badger incident of slavery because it mirrors, even if not driven by the same purpose, the kind of racialized control over autonomy and freedom of movement that black slaves as well as all free blacks were subject to during slavery. So I'll talk a little bit about that one piece, and I know that David and Jalila um, will have a lot to contribute there because of their own work about race and the criminal law. The other piece is much more recent. In fact, it's still a draft. Um, it's been accepted by the Texas Law Review, but hasn't been published yet. It'll come out next year. And it's about uh, freedom of speech and slavery. So the, the idea of that one, it, again, kind of drawing on the legal history of slavery, is that, in my view, as well as in this view of many other scholars, we have two distinct constitutional regimes. There's the framing to Civil War regime, right, the 1787 to 1865 Constitution, 
which I'll call the original founding. And then there's what's referred to as the second founding, the post-Civil War constitutional amendments, as well as federal civil rights statutes that the people at the time who adopted them thought of as representing a second American revolution, a second founding of the nation in turning away from a society based on racial slavery to one who at least in its fundamental charter would be based upon freedom and equality for all persons, not merely a subset. In constitutional doctrine, as you'll recall, the cases, and indeed I would say probably most professors, spend very little time talking about the second founding as a new constitutional moment. We talk a lot about specific provisions from the post-Civil War Constitution, right? So you spend a ton of time on equal protection, due process, privileges and immunities, etc. But in general, when we talk about the pre-Civil War Constitution, we tend to act as if the second founding moment never happened. For purposes of this paper, I contend that courts tend to act as if what freedom of speech meant in 1791 when the Bill of Rights was ratified is exactly the same thing from an original meaning perspective as what it should mean today. And my point is actually not so much to kind of claim or disclaim originalism. It is simply if you're going to analyze the Constitution from an originalist perspective, there is another originalist moment where the original framers view was modified, elaborated upon, and in some cases rejected by the second framing. And so the article in one sense is kind of a theoretical plea that we take the post-Civil War Constitution seriously as a second founding moment. The second more specific part is if you accept that frame, which certainly not everyone would, what might it mean for how we interpret some specific constitutional provisions? And one of those is the First Amendment. So the, I think, kind of um, most novel contribution that the article makes is that it looks at freedom of speech, not just through the lens of the first founding's framers, nor exclusively through the lens of the second founding's framers, but that actually foregrounds the views of enslaved persons themselves and asks, what did freedom of speech mean to them in a condition of slavery? What denial of their free speech rights did they experience? What would they have hoped or expected the post-Civil War vision of freedom of speech to entail? And I argue that as part of the constitutional polity that would help uh, us understand the general public meaning of freedom of speech under the post-Civil War Constitution, that the voices of enslaved persons have been almost entirely ignored in constitutional interpretation. So I draw from a lot of first-person slave narratives where the slaves talk about um, their experiences with being denied freedom of speech and talk about what they think it should mean uh, under the reconstructed constitution. Um, so I'll be talking about those in the talk and you know, hopefully folks will find it interesting. Um, but I think what all of my 13th Amendment work, including this most recent piece, are trying to do is to show there is a different constitutional legal history that has largely remained untold, right? that particularly the um, post-Civil War Constitution was one that was about equal dignity and equal worth and about freedom and liberty in many aspects. Some of them were liberty of body and movement, which is the racial profiling piece. 
some of them are liberty of mind and conscience, right, which is the um, First Amendment piece. But the animating impulse is the same, um, that, you know, there's a, a long debate about whether our Constitution was originally pro-slavery or anti-slavery. Um, and my point, I guess, the intervention I make in my work is that in seeking to answer that question, we have to look at our Constitution as, as a whole. And too often our courts and lawyers act as if the post-Civil War Constitution didn't really happen. Abolition. 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 You just heard Professor William Carter, Jr. of the John E. Mary Faculty Scholar and Professor of Law at the University of Pittsburgh. And he gave a speech on 13th Amendment and the badges and incidents of slavery and a lot to unpack from that max yeah uh as i said i was hoping everybody was taking notes because we just had a college professor university professor teach us about this um and he definitely had a lot of jewels to drop uh i think the overall story though is that as a tool this is something that we certainly should be using right now for instance part of our step two is to start challenging slave-like conditions in courts in states that have uh, abolished slavery without exception. So we're doing that in Colorado, but we can't just leave it to prison labor because slavery isn't just prison labor. Prison labor is a huge component of it, but warehousing bodies is also a very large and larger component. It's what the global market is going for, is the warehousing of bodies. So, and that's just not the end of it either. The the system of slavery includes the for-profit and even some of the not-for-profit probation systems, uh, adoptions agencies that are working with prisons, the juvenile justice departments, uh, the uh, immigration uh, uh, departments. All of these things tied together create a system of oppression where the heart of it, human trafficking. Uh, so, he broke all of that down. There was a lot of things that stood out to me, like when he said there's a legal history of slavery. And that is mm-hmm. the, the brick wall we run into with people. When we start saying legalized slavery, they don't understand it. What do you mean legalized slavery? How is that? Slavery not legal. <laughs> but it's we've had a, a, a centuries of legalized slavery where it was allowed by law to do this, that, three other things. Um, so that stood out for me. Um, he also mentioned the two constitutional regimes, which is schools of thought uh, and th- how they ignore the second founding, which was the Civil War. True, it was the second founding uh, and how they do not apply those attributes to their narratives and leave this entire section of constitutional history um, unspoken of, undiscovered which is what we're really mm-hmm. bringing to the forefront right now, this undiscovered, unexplored, like the 13th Amendment exception clause aspect of U.S. history that nobody's ever seen to pay attention to. We all know, at least in our communities, that y'all know. <laughs> you have always known. You just pretended to be ignorant. I've seen people actually do things on purpose in high positions when they knew exactly what was going on, but that's neither here nor there. So he also talked about freedom of speech and slavery and how that would work together. And one thing that he said was very important to me was that during this whole narrative presented by the originalists 
of the Constitution, the voices of the enslaved people were always left out. Like always left out, right? Right. So um, he, he made it important that there is a difference constitutional history that we need uh, to explore here. And one more thing that inspired what you saw today as this year's new logo for Abolition Today. Uh, partially inspired it where he said that there's two ways that they enslave you. Uh, one, of course, is through your mind and consciousness and the other is through your body and control of your movement. And these are mm-hmm. the things that were going on then and are going on right now. Uh, mental slavery and physical slavery. So, Yusuf? Yeah, and just to touch on the fact that he mentioned that we never hear from the enslaved, it's one of the reasons why uh, you and I have opened our airwaves so much to those currently incarcerated because who could tell you more about modern slavery than someone who's actually on the plantation right now? Live from the plantation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so, Abolition Today is a sponsor of Live from the Plantation every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, created by, hosted by, produced by, and directed by inmates. There you go, Yusuf. I just threw that quick plug in there. <laughs> hey, thank you for that. So, since I knew it was going to be about badges and incidents of slavery, you know, I wanted to put together a piece just dealing with how that phrase even came about. You know, that phrase didn't just pop up out of nowhere, that it actually has legal precedence. So I'm going to, it's short, short for my standard. You know how I do, Max. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm going to read through it and I inboxed you with it in case I get weak and just can't make it through it, but I'll start it out. So, uh. As as we uh, look through the courts, the first thing that we uh, realize, the first major imp- interpretations of the 13th Amendment didn't involve the persons who were affected by the exception clause, and that's prisoners. Sort of like how everything today is compared to slavery except slavery itself. And so one of the first cases that came up was called the Slaughterhouse Cases. This is uh, – Cited at 83 U.S. 36 It's in 1873 Out of Louisiana Where else And at that time The courts were referring to Chattel slavery As African slavery And the case involved A group of private butchers Challenging a Louisiana state uh, Statute banning animal slaughter In New Orleans you know, long story short, uh, the court said that it was not involuntary servitude. That's how they ruled in the case. And the court ruled the main purpose of the 13th Amendment was to abolish African slavery and its incidents. The court in Slaughterhouse did not consider prison labor as an incident of slavery. Once a person fell under the exception clause, it was referred to as the punishment clause by the courts. The state is justifying and depriving the person of his life and liberty. That's how they ruled in 1873. 
fast forward to 1883, you know, we're talking 90, uh, I'm sorry, 110 years later. So pretty much up until that point, they were still tossing this term uh, African slavery and its incidents around in cases. And then there came the civil rights cases. This is uh, cited at 109 U.S. 3, 1883. And although the Reconstruction Amendments, and that's referring to the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, although they were supposedly conjoined, the rulings in these civil rights cases, and that's U.S. versus Stanley, uh, U.S. versus Ryan, U.S. versus Nichols, U.S. versus Singleton, Robinson X, uh, versus Memphis, and Charleston Railroad Company. These were the first known instances where the 13th and 14th Amendment were differentiated from each other. And so Justice Bradley said that the 13th Amendment simply abolished slavery and gave Congress the power to, regular, to uh, regulate private individuals' actions in order to eradicate it. Now, remember this, this, uh, this theme, because this is how the courts have always interpreted it. He viewed the 14th Amendment as giving Congress the power to nullify state laws that either abridge citizen privileges and immunities or deprive persons of life liberty and property without due process. However, in the Stanley court, so U.S. versus Stanley was one of the leading, it was the leading case in these civil rights uh, cases. This is where the transition occurred. And it stated, it is true that slavery cannot exist without law. Any more than property and lands and goods can exist without law. And therefore, the 13th Amendment may be regarded as nullifying all state laws which establish or uphold slavery, but it has a reflex character also, establishing and decreeing universal civil and political freedom throughout the U.S., and it is assumed that the power vested in Congress to enforce the article by appropriate legislation legislation, closed Congress with the power to pass all laws necessary and proper for abolishing all badges and incidents of slavery in the U.S. And upon this assumption, it is claimed that this is sufficient authority for declaring by law that all persons shall have equal accommodations and privileges in all ends, public conveyances, blah, blah, blah. So what the court was saying in this point was, look, Congress got to do something about this. And this is exactly what uh, Section 2, you know, of the uh, U.S. Con- of the 13th Amendment actually states. So the courts are basically saying, look, Congress has to get rid of all badges and incidents because our hands are tied as to what we can look to as slavery. Congress has to clearly define what they mean. And so going forward, they stated uh, – Congress has the right to enact all necessary and proper laws for the obliteration and prevention of slavery with all its badges and incidents. It is the minor proposition also true that the denial to any person of admission to the accommodations and privileges of an inn, public conveyance, etc., to fasten him of any badge of slavery 
if it does not empower to pass the law, it's not found in the 13th Amendment. So the court is saying, you know, the 13th Amendment has its limitations and Congress is supposed to clean up all the messes that come when it talks about the badges and incidents, when we start talking about uh, human rights conditions in the prisons. The Congress has to pass a law to do something about that. The courts can't do anything about it. This is according to this case. So that case, again, was slaughterhouse cases from 1883. And then when you go into Hodges versus the United States, cited as 203 U.S. 1, and this was decided in 1906, the court stated before the 13th Amendment was, was adopted, the existence of freedom or slavery within any state depended wholly on the Constitution and laws of such state. However abhorrent to many was the thought that human beings of African descent were held as slaves and chattels, no remedy for that state of things as it existed in some of the states will be given by the United States in virtue of any power it possessed prior to the adoption of the 13th Amendment. Uh, by the amendment, it was ordained that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime whereof a party shall be have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Although in words and form prohibitive, yet in law, by its own force, that amendment destroyed slavery and all its incidents and badges and established freedom. Of course, it left the exception clause. So it went further. By its second section, invested Congress with power by appropriate legislation to enforce its provisions. To that end, by direct primary legislation, Congress may not only prevent the reestablishing of the institution of slavery, pure and simple, but it may make it possible that any of its incidents or badges should exist or be enforced in any state or territory of the United States. And they therefore became competent for Congress under the 13th Amendment to make the establishing of slavery as well as all attempts, whether in the form of a conspiracy or otherwise, to subject anyone to the badges or incidents of slavery, offenses against the United States, punishable by fine or imprisonment, or both. And it reads on. Uh, it's, it's a lot more to read, but I just wanted to focus on just naming the cases. Slaughterhouse cases, 83 U.S. 36. Civil rights cases, 109 U.S. 3. U.S., I'm sorry, Hodges versus United States, 203 U.S. 1, and one that I didn't get into, but it pretty much established the same path of saying Congress has to do something about it. When you see these badges and incidents of slavery, you must enact laws to do something about it, and that's Bailey versus Alabama, 219 U.S. 219, and that was established in 1911. So as you can see, these cases have been on the books for over a century and nothing was ever done about it. Now we're finally seeing, you know, Senator Merkley and others actually making an attempt to do something about it, which is and, something uh, that they could have done a century ago. And uh, state attorney Kim Gardner pulling out that KKK yes. act. 
Yes. So that's my piece on it, Max. I would have gone you want, much longer, you want, much in depth. Did you want the rest to get out of here? Or you just want me to go ahead and uh, do some commentary and open the lines. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was done because it's like you know, I was starting to get a little weak. So I said, you know what? Let me summarize real quick. And anyone, that's why I mentioned the names of the cases because it's all right there. Yes. Yeah, I, I got the copy. It's kind of a ball of text, but I was trying to separate a little bit in case you needed me to finish it off for you. There is some amazing material here. Is this going to be something you'll publish so people that are listening can read later the details of it? Can Can you publish it, please? Uh, I got to clean it up first before I do that. Uh, just get the, it in paragraphs and stuff so it's not a big wall of text. Um, right. And then I'll put it out. Yeah. Uh, there was some, certainly some things that stood out for me that you said, you know, it therefore became competent for Congress under the 13th Amendment to make establishing of slavery as well as all attempts, whether in the form of a conspiracy or otherwise, to subject mm-hmm. anyone to the badges of incidents of slavery offense against the United States punishable by fine or imprisonment or both. The moment you saw a commercial come out from the prison industry asking private industry to use prison labor as an alternative workforce, that was an incident of badger slavery right there. That should be punishable by fine or imprisonment or both. And that's just one example. Right. You know, right. A, a justice department that follows market values is a badge, an incident of slavery. And keeping it on Missouri, as we mentioned, the uh, Eric Holder's speech right there in Missouri that told him point blank, these are constitutional violations of the highest kind, systemic oppression based on race. In places where you only have uh, 3,000 people, for instance, in Country Club City, you only have 3,000 people and you got 15,000 warrants. <laughs> you know? Right. You communicated directly with the Sheriff's Department, the City Council saying, can you bring in more ticket fees? And they did, going from $1 million to $3 million because they asked them to make more money. That's badges and incidents of slavery. Absolutely. So they, was target, they target the hell out of us. from the, the, the whole criminal justice system, as I said, follows market values. So it's all about the money and the damn thing funny. And they target us from the beginning to the end of the whole process to make these fortunes on our body. It's why Alabama is investing over a billion dollars into building new prisons and, and and at the same time fighting against the Department of Justice who dared issue a lawsuit against them for violating people's 8th and 14th Amendment rights and just basic human rights for that matter because it's involving uh, almost certain death on occasions, rape, mm-hmm. uh, abuse, uh, systemic uh, abuses. This is America we're talking about, people. We ain't talking about medieval England. This ain't, you know, this ain't back in the day. This is right now right. happening. Right now. Right now. And, so the, the, and the courts have always like said, yeah, and the courts have always said, look, Congress has the power to do something about it. Over right. and over and over again, they said it. I'm reading through some of what you didn't say where, you, where it was 
but it is one of a combination of a combination of conspiracy by individuals acting in hostility to rights conferred by the amendment that ordain and establish freedom and conferred upon every person within the jurisdiction of the United States not held lawfully in custody for crime. The, you see, that's in, in parentheses. Did you put that there on purpose? Not held lawfully in custody for crime. Lawfully held as a freaking piece of property. Yeah, that's, that's, that's straight from the court ruling. Right, but it's like, like this saying right there, we, we lawfully own you. <laughs> the privileges that are fundamental in a state of freedom and which were violently taken from the laborers in question solely because of their race and color from Bailey versus Alabama 2000, uh, 219 U.S. 219, 1911. Yeah, that's just another example. Uh, these are all badges and incidents of slavery that we're dealing with, and we need to start uh, using that tool in our shed now. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we can't just focus on the labor. The labor is a major thing, but we're talking about an entire system, which is why we kind of scoff at people who say they want to abolish the police or defund the police to us, we hear abolish slave catchers, defund slave catchers, and it don't make no damn sense at all. Why are you not defunding slavery? Why are you not abolishing slavery? You know what I mean? Right. That's like abolish the whip, <laughs> defund the whippers. <laughs> right. You know? Get rid of get rid of the patty rollers. Yeah, abolish the patty rollers. Abolish plantations. Go to the root. If you deal with the root, you don't have to eat the fruit. It's really just that simple. Mm. Say it again, Max. Go with the root. If you deal with the root, you don't have to eat the fruit. And if it's poison, mm. guess what you eat? It's poisonous fruit. We got to nip it in the bud right where it stems from. This legal slavery that is constitutionally allowed and in practice, not just in the United States since 1865 and before, but is now a worldwide phenomenon where other nations have adopted our system of prison for economic development programs. So, yeah. Yeah, good information here, man. I want to get as much as it's out as I possibly can. So uh, tonight I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, try to put it together. For our callers who are on the line, as I said, the mic is open. If you want to join the conversation, feel free. We're coming up nearing the last 20 minutes of our program and the last 10 minutes is dedicated to our bridging the gap segment, which is tonight is man, Henry Highland garden uh, did the speech and this is part four. We did three parts last year. This year we saved the culmination for today and you'll see why Uh, just listen to his words and then flow with the music that comes up right behind it. But uh, yeah, if you guys got something to say, feel free. Uh, Unmute your mic. Your, your own phone And if you want to join the conversation We're at 515-605-9814 uh, What are some of the good applications For this that you can think of uh, Yusuf for badges And incidents of slavery That people can start using immediately Say it again Please I'm what sorry do you, What do you think are uh, Immediate applications For the Congress to become more forceful on the badges and incidents of slavery. So we de- we definitely have to delve into the Eighth Amendment violations that go on in the prisons. You know, when we talk about them being fed 
food from boxes that are marked not fit for human consumption or they're getting like the aftermarket food. You know, Aramark sends food out to hospitals and other institutions, colleges, and when they pass their expiration date, Aramark then turns around and sells it to the prisons. You know, just food that's you can't eat or the poor health conditions that go on there. So when we start talking about badges and incidents of slavery, we're talking about the living conditions, the treatment, uh, the health or the lack of health care, you know, or someone, you know, uh, getting caught with a cell phone, getting 50 years added to his sentence. You know, many of the outrageous things that go on. So I think, yeah, we definitely have to deal with the human rights violations because right now the courts won't deal with them as long as the exception clause exists in a state or if it's a federal institution, you know, the 13th Amendment exists, the courts won't touch it. So that's a good starting point in my, in, in my opinion. I agree that the constitutional violations are signposts for badges and incidents of slavery. If you see these violations occurring, that's because it's a systemic problem. And one of the first things they have to do is violate your rights in order to make it happen. So I would say that the sixth amendment is also. Mm-hmm. Of I, I knew you would pick that up. An incidents of slavery because it is a literal uh, assembly line of human flesh where 95% of all, Federal cases end in a plea bargain, an unconstitutional plea bargain. We don't even get the chance to have a freaking jury anymore, and we're definitely not provided with competent legal counsel. I won't even go into too much detail on that. You can check out our previous episodes for details about competent legal counsel. Sometimes we <laughs> get rat, rat catchers, <laughs> you know? So I would say the Sixth Amendment is one of those badges and incidents of slavery. And that means it's not only affecting people who have already been convicted of a crime, but it's also affecting those who uh, haven't yet to be convicted of a crime. So those in the jails are also subject to to badges and incidents of slavery. Uh, Like the sheriff in Alabama that was taking the food money and buying himself uh, cars and townhouses and beachfront property and feeding the prisoners basically garbage. Mm -hmm. The race-based part is in the statistics of it all. Just look at our prison system as a whole and look at the states uh, if you have to individually. As you mentioned earlier, the uh, project that we did, America is Ferguson, broke down how there's no state in the union where black people are incarcerated less than their white counterparts. It doesn't matter what your population consists of. You could be 1% of the population and still be getting 14 to 1. Or you could be 50% of the population and still be getting 19 to 1. Mm-hmm. Well, Yusuf, I know you have struggled to get through here today. And we're coming up on the end of the program, man. Uh, let's throw in some final thoughts and words. Okay, great. So, uh, it was definitely great being back. You know, and yeah, as, as down as I was feeling, I said, you know, it's no way I can miss this. You know, no way. I had to be here for the welcome back. I mean, as much as I was pushing you all week, hey, in the Max Mix, can we have welcome back, Cotter? You know, mm-hmm. so I had to be here for it. You know, I just, uh, 
I'm thankful that I was able to make it through it. Wish I had a little more energy to push through. Those that listen to our program know I'm high energy. I get amped up. But, yeah, you know, even uh, even superheroes need rest, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and uh, I just, I just, I just love the theme. You know, of just raising hell, and by raising hell, we mean we want to upset the system. You know, this system is going on for so long. And they've been doing it blatantly right in front of our faces, you know, and so now it's time for us to push back, but in an organized manner. And right. I firmly believe that the manner in doing it is destroying their cash cow. That exception clause of the 13th Amendment is how they've been able to manipulate so many things, you know, for 160 years. Well, it's the Just legal that, version, yeah. Yeah, the legal version of it, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, where it's codified in law. Do it. you know? Yeah, it's codified in law. And so, yeah, with that, you know, uh, I'm going to uh, just sign off and listen to the closing segment. I love you, brother. Great to be back with you. And inshallah, God willing, we'll be on the air together next week as well. Amen to that, bro. Uh, yeah, everybody, welcome to 2021. You're listening to Abolition today with Yusuf Hassan and Max Parthas. We're also being simulcast today by, by the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, we're available on all your favorite platforms, uh, wherever you want to go to Spotify or iTunes. We're there. Just look up Abolition today in those platforms to listen to us. Uh, we hope that we provided you today with a new tool. As I said, to put in the tool shed and use badges and incidents of slavery. This abolitionist movement, uh, it's it got to keep on going, and we got to uh, use all the tools there and then shed. And we can't ignore parts like this that shows the systemic issues we're dealing with, not the individual, the systemic issues we're dealing with, and how to reply to them. Uh, we're going to go ahead into our final segments. Let me give a shout out to our sponsors, uh, real quick the Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. I am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Same Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, and Prismatic Dreams. Tonight's Bridging the Gap segment is part four and the conclusion of Henry Highland Garnett's 1843 speech at the National Negro Convention in Buffalo, New York. In this speech, Reverend Garnett, an abolitionist and formerly enslaved individual, urges American slaves to revolt to win their freedom. It's narrated by Timeless Reader One on YouTube, and it will be followed by Start a Riot by Duckworthy and Shibuzi. Uh, remember to subscribe to our YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. That's youtube.com slash abolition today. Also, remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become a part of the solution. We'll be back January 10th with guests the new Hannibal Ross son co-host of Live from the Plantation. He'll give us an update from behind enemy lines. Until then, think about abolition today. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. In 1822, Denmark Vesey of South Carolina formed a plan for the liberation of his fellow man. In the whole history of human efforts to overthrow slavery, a more complicated and tremendous plan was never formed. 
he was betrayed by the treachery of his own people and died a martyr to freedom. Many a brave hero fell, but history, faithful to her high trust, will transcribe his name on the same monument with Moses, Hampton, Tell, Bruce, and Wallace, to San Louvertier, Lafayette, and Washington. That tremendous movement shook the whole empire of slavery. The guilty soul thieves were overwhelmed with fear. It is a matter of fact that at that time, and in consequence of the threatened revolution, the slave states talked strongly of emancipation. But they blew but one blast of the trumpet of freedom, and then laid it aside. As these men became quiet, the slaveholders ceased to talk about emancipation, and now behold your condition today. Angels sigh over it, and humanity has long since exhausted her tears in weeping on your account. The patriotic Nathaniel Turner followed Denmark Vesey. He was goaded to desperation by wrong and injustice. By despotism, his name has been recorded on the list of infamy, and future generations will remember him among the noble and brave. Next arose the immortal Joseph Sinke, the hero of the Amistad. He was a native African, and by the help of God, he emancipated a whole shipload of his fellow men on the high seas, and he now sings of liberty on the sunny hills of Africa and beneath his native palm trees, where he hears the lion roar and feels himself as free as that king of the forest. Next arose Madison Washington, that bright star of freedom, and took his station in the constellation of true heroism. He was a slave on board the brig Creole of Richmond, bound to New Orleans, that great slave mart, with a hundred and four others. Nineteen struck for liberty or death, but one life was taken, and the whole were emancipated, and the vessel was carried into Nassau, New Providence. Noble man, those who have fallen in freedom's conflict, their memories will be cherished by the true-hearted and the God-fearing in all future generations. Those who are living, their names are surrounded by a halo of glory. Brethren, arise, arise! Strike for your lives and liberties. Now is the day and the hour. Let every slave throughout the land do this, and the days of slavery are numbered. You cannot be more oppressed than you have been. You cannot suffer greater cruelties than you have already. Rather die freemen than live to be slaves. Remember that you are three millions. It is in your power so to torment the God-cursed slaveholders, that they will be glad to let you go free. If the scale was turned, and black men were the masters, and white men the slaves, every destructive agent and element would be employed to lay the oppressor low. Danger and death would hang over their heads day and night. Yes, the tyrants would meet with plagues more terrible than those of Pharaoh, but you are a patient people. You act as though you were made for the special use of these devils. You act as though your daughters were born to pamper the lusts of your masters and overseers. And worse than all, you tamely submit, while your lords, 
tear your wives from your embraces and defile them before your eyes. In the name of God, we ask, Are you man? Where's the blood of your fathers? Has it all run out of your veins? Awake! Awake! Millions of voices are calling you. Your dead fathers speak to you from their graves. Heaven, as with a voice of thunder, calls on you to arise from the dust. Let your motto be resistance. Resistance! Resistance! No oppressed people have ever secured their liberty without resistance. What kind of resistance you had better make, you must decide by the circumstances that surround you and according to the suggestion of expediency. Brethren, adieu. Trust in the living God. Labor for the peace of the human race. And remember that you are three million. Bang.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.